Welcome to Disruption Now, or not welcome to Disruption Now, welcome to Disruption Now, along with the Global Entrepreneurship uh, Week. I am honored to be here. I am your host and moderator, Rob Richardson, with Disruption Now Media. Uh, we have a great panel today talking about entrepreneurship, what it means, particularly Black entrepreneurship. With me is Carlin D. Ja- uh, is Car- is Carlin D. Jackson with Wise David uh, Limited. Also uh, with me is Anthony Gillespie of Keen Point Consulting and Jay Williams of the Heartful Foundation. Uh, Brothers, good to have you on. How you all doing today? I'm doing excellent. Good to be with you, Rod, and also Anthony and Carlin with you also. Good to have you all on. And I want to talk to you guys about entrepreneurship. You all are either entrepreneurs, leaders, or, or have helped support entrepreneurs. So want to really get the perspective of the Black entrepreneur. We know it's tough to be an entrepreneur no matter what. Add being Black on top of that, there are additional obstacles. There are, uh, there are additional barriers that are unique to the Black experience. We want to talk about that and, and figure out ways to navigate it so we have more successful Black and Brown entrepreneurs. Uh, Jay, I want to start with you. You've You've been a mayor. You've been in. You've been in charge of helping uh, to develop ecosystems. I know you were the mayor of Youngstown, so shout out to Ohio, Cincinnati here. So uh, you know, give us some perspective on what you think. In particular, I want to say this: like, if you had to speak to your younger self, or uh, when you first started in this process of being a leader, what advice would you give yourself now with the knowledge that you have now, and what advice would you ignore? Sure. So uh, again, while I'm not an entrepreneur currently, I've spent the past 10 to 15 years of my career helping to build ecosystems uh, for entrepreneurs, specifically uh, black uh, and entrepreneurs of color, whether during my time as mayor of Youngstown or in in Washington, D.C., working with the Obama administration or even now here uh, at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. And I do have firsthand experience because my father left corporate America to become an entrepreneur. So uh, realizing uh, and, and, and would share to my early self, younger self, that uh, it is the most difficult, challenging, uh, but also simultaneously the most gratifying experience that uh, you will probably embark upon. There is nothing more difficult uh, than working for oneself and, and having to go out and you know, eat what you kill. Uh, but at the same time, the gratification, I remember my father telling me as he was leaving General Electric, he said, Jay, as long as you work for someone else, there will always be a ceiling uh, that you will never exceed. And that ceiling will be whatever they set for you. So whatever your title is, whatever salary and benefit package they're giving you, it is always limited by you know their discretion. But when you go work for yourself, uh, while it's challenging, uh, you know the sky is the limit. You set your own bar and you continue to exceed that bar. So I think that is what I take away because I was young when he left GE and I thought, man, he's, he's at GE. So there's a steady paycheck. Every two weeks, you know, it was a yeah. good job, good corporation. My sister and I, Christmas looked a certain way when he was working at GE. Uh, and then when he left to go out on his own, Christmas was a little bit differently. And at, <laughs> at eight or nine, 10 years old, that's how you kind of judge how are we doing? You know, what is Christmas looking like? But I right. saw his level of satisfaction and what he was able to do. And he, he would often take me along with him, you know, on those jobs. So again, I learned that the ceiling uh, is set by others when you're working for someone else. But when you're working for yourself, uh, the challenges are there, but the gratification and what you are able to give of yourself takes on a whole different connotation. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, I know you are an entrepreneur. Uh, can you think about when you first started in this process? I think, you know, being an entrepreneur is it's kind of hard to advise oneself because it's just an experience one has to go through. But take me through your experience and think about Knowing the things you know now, what advice would you give yourself? And then if you heard any advice about being an entrepreneur, what would you ignore? 
Yeah, so I, I started on this journey. I mean, I worked in industry probably for almost 25 years in a variety of technical positions. I'm an engineer by training. And so uh, having that comfort zone as far as uh, working for a company, and as Jay mentioned earlier, having that steady paycheck was always comforting. But at the same time, I always had that uh, that urge to strive for more and go off on my own. And so one of the things for me, uh, I always dabbled as far as, start, as starting up a business, never really leaped over the edge until about five years ago when I was, my position in my group was uh, pretty much shut down uh, within a major organization oh. and uh, had a choice uh, to go look for another corporate opportunity or uh, actually go off on my own and start my company. And uh, it was with my wife's urgent. She always knew I always had that interest in going and, and pursuing that entrepreneurial route. And she said, you know, you learned a lot. Why don't you go ahead and start? And so I really didn't go through a, a deep process as far as uh, developing a plan, right. as you know, it was prescribed in the books as far as developing a business plan. It was really I thought most entrepreneurs don't, by the way, but go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. uh, in my case, it was it was out of, you know, really out of need to, hey, we got to pay our bills and get things going. And I know a lot of things. So uh, I started King Point Consulting, which really is a consulting firm uh, that works with a lot of organizations to really help them figure out how can they leverage uh, right. technology assets to drive economic development. And but if you can, Anthony, tell me, I want to guide the question a little bit. Like, sure. Think about let's let's get to a point where you because there are some things you you were kind of forced into going the direction that you believe you should have gone at some point, it sounds like. But talk to me about something that you wish you would have told yourself when you first started that you just didn't know. Like, wow, if I had to go if I if I was starting over again with the knowledge I have five years out, can you think of something that just sticks out in your brain? You're like, listen, young Anthony do this or do not do this? What would you, what would that be? Well, I mean, it comes back to the basis as, as, as you've always told, you know, save, have, have adequate savings. And that was one of the things that really hit us at that time, because, you know, personal savings really turns into helping your business grow and succeed. And so having that cash cow, it goes back to cash is king. Yeah. Uh, that's the key. And so I wish I had really listened more to, you know, folks who had advised me over the years to have a little more savings right. on the side because it would have made the the pathway much more smooth. Yeah. Any advice you ignore? Uh, it goes back to what we we're talking about. I mean, it's not uh, entrepreneurship is not as it's described in the books. It's not. <laughs> you would have ignored the plan idea. Just forget exactly, about that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You don't need a fully developed business plan to start. You just need an idea of where you want to go. Yeah, I think it's a great point. So, you know, uh, Carlin, when you think about the process of how challenging it is to be an entrepreneur, um, it's not something you can plan for. But are there things that you know now that you're like, okay, had I known this a little bit earlier, I would have been more successful faster. And is there anything, is there a type of advice that you got as an entrepreneur, as a black entrepreneur that you just think is just totally should just be taken in the garbage or thrown out? Yeah. So I'll address, those are both uh, great questions and kind of, uh, you know, two sides of the same coin, if you will. 
for me personally, my entrepreneurial journey started, you know, as a, a very young child in school, um, finding creative opportunities to um, make money at the same time, be a help to like classmates. I remember um, seeing after gym, everyone was thirsty. So let me provide frozen packs of drink and make like a 50% margin selling them for 25 <laughs> You cent, really were 50 cent. Geez, man. <laughs> when I, when you I have found your call, brother, you for, have found it. Exactly. And so, <laughs> you know, you take that approach to, um, you know, trying to find opportunities forward many years later, I'm graduating uh, with my master's and I have a choice to make. You know, I too have a background in uh, engineering, uh, then spent time in a business school. And I was like, what do I um, how do I want to utilize my background and experience? And um, I just decided that striking out on my own, starting my own consultancy, uh, Theo Wise David was the path. Now, right now, I'm primarily engaged with a newly launched uh, tech startup uh, in the e-commerce space as a technical co-founder. And so on two hands, I have experience with um, entrepreneurship with a services-based um organization and one actually now um, offering a product and co-offering to uh, clients and customers. And in both those, you know, one is taking on projects, um, whereas the other is kind of responding to um, kind of the needs of the market and the customers. You know, you have to have clarity of focus, right? Um, for the consulting side, I'm sure, Anthony, you'll agree with this, understanding what it is that you are and aren't going to do from a um, offering standpoint. Sometimes people have requests uh, to, you know, build you the moon for $5. Or maybe <laughs> it's just more or less totally outside the realm of this is what I'm trying to focus on from a offering standpoint. Yeah. I and mean, Carla, just to interrupt you very quick, a, a point, I think if I uh, telling my younger self, because I'm, I'm the newest, probably the entrepreneurship, anybody between the rest of you guys only really having about 18 months in, I would have I would have looked at the, pro the the importance of knowing the process for how you price things because that kind of gets to what you're saying because yeah. it's very I mean it's easy to get that wrong it's so easy to get that wrong and and and, and understanding that what is how much does it really cost you what are your cost of goods like if there's anything you know you, you don't need the business plan you do need to know what your services are worth how much time is going to take you to get it and how you're going to scale it because uh, if you don't know that. It's going to be either going to have to spend all your time and you won't make any money or you're going to lose money. One of the two. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And it's it's both pricing what you're willing to do, but also limiting that scope of those things as well. Because some requests, no matter how much someone would be willing to pay or what you will want, it might not be a strategic fit for what mm. you uh, want to kind of pursue. And that's kind of where I was leading with, you know, this uh, tech startup kind of status, understanding what our place in the market is and making sure we own that. You know, yeah. so it's going to be very easy to become distracted as an entrepreneur, maybe wanting to pivot or try to take on more than what, you know, you really need to. Um, and then I would say to answer the second part of the question about advice, maybe to reject or not give too much weight to, um, I would say as a, um, there's already a lot of challenges as uh, minority entrepreneurs and I think one of the biggest uh, traps is to try to fit a certain mold of what it means to be entrepreneur, whether it's the way you mm. speak, talk, dress, interact with uh, the ecosystem at large. You might say, okay, let me 
you know, very much fit this, you know, very particular shape so as not to rock the boat to minimize my identity almost so that I'm not a controversy right. in terms of who I am, right? And I think I, f- focusing too hard on such things can really limit your ability to express why you're unique, why mm. you're creative, mm. and why um, your entrepreneurial path should be a, you know, a success. Uh, so that, and I, I would say that's probably one of the more powerful things you can tell folks to reject as they start their entrepreneurial journey. I mean, that's a great point. Being being confident in who you are and not worrying about, I guess, um, making people upset because of who you are or trying to fit into something that you're not. But let me <clears throat> let me challenge that statement. How in in, in a world? Let's let's be clear. Uh, it's it, it's a world that's not that's not embracing of you of, of black people being proud to be black, of black people fighting for equity, of black people saying even the word black. I mean, we just it just now became popular. For everybody to say Black Lives Matter, and certainly we all do a huge clap. Congratulations, people could say Black Lives Matter. But like that was a controversial statement six months ago. It wasn't to us, but to people, lots of people, that was a controversial statement. So you're in a world that, you know, we unfortunately are not the majority in. Uh, and there are people that have these biases and beliefs. How do you how do you how do you navigate that tension towards being not losing confidence in who you are while still figuring out how to survive and thrive in this environment. Does that make sense, Carlin? I mean, like, I I think it's a great point you make. And I, by the way, I mean, the name of the show is disruption now. So clearly I agree with you, but like, what advice do you give entrepreneurs that are trying to figure that out in this space right now? Yeah. So that's a great point. Um, There is, I believe a article series. I, I can't remember if it was Bloomberg or wall street journal. Uh, in the past few months, where they profiled a um, entire list of uh, uh, black and minority uh, workers on Wall Street who kind of detailed their experience at multiple levels, whether you had chairmen, the CEOs, or day traders, who basically kind of spoke to this point about navigating their identity in the realm of uh, industry that was very prototypically not um, you know, a minority, right? Yeah. And it, it's very a complex issue. And it almost comes down to case by case basis of saying, you know, how do I balance staying true to myself with being able to actually have success in this moment? Because yeah. not every situation is supposed to be one where you, you know, trailblaze or where you rock the boat in a sense. But at the same time, we all have, you know, that core. Um, sense of this is my limit and this is the amount to willing, which I'm willing to um, subject or morph my identity. Right. Uh, what I would say is find where that limit is for yourself um, because I'm never going to advocate someone to um, have to fight battles that they don't feel they're prepared to. But yeah. At the same time, I want them to feel encouraged that if they do indeed feel have a conviction about saying, this is who I would need to be in this moment to know that it's okay to do that. I hope that I think, makes sense. No, it, it does. And then uh, Anthony and Jay, I want to get to you one, one quick point. Uh, what I tell black founders, black leaders is that when you deal with, and you're going to deal with it, uh, racism, when you deal with ignorance, when you just deal with uh, people that are culturally insensitive or don't 
don't understand, don't care to understand. What you have to do is have something. This is just there. There is more of a, of a burden on us for this, and it's just a fact. But we have to understand when people react that way, it has nothing to do with us. It's their issue, and having the emotional maturity to not react to something at that moment and figuring out how do I move forward? And I can give you, uh, I give people uh, this example all the time. So I was the, uh, the youngest chair of the University of Cincinnati and it was a, a, a lot to that, but I'll, I'll just, I'll get to, to, to one point. I'll say uh, when we were um, right before they were selecting, selecting me to be chairman, I had done everything. I mean, I, it was, it shouldn't have been an argument, but it was. And, you know, I had never, ever brought up issues of race, but, you know, there came a point that I had to ask and I, and I, and I didn't bring it up like you're being racist. That, that's not usually, usually not effective. What I, what I said is, why does my process look different than everybody else's? And I just have a question for what that is. And that, you know, then there was a pullback and they were like, well, are, are you calling me racist? I said, I just asked a question. I didn't. I, I, you said racist. I said, why does the process look different? And, you know, I became chair, long story bearable, but I had a lot of moments in that where I had to figure out when to strike. And it's not always the right time to strike. Even if you are, quote unquote, right, and you know that they're wrong. You have to figure out you have to have the discipline uh, to think for the long game. So in this in this uh, and kind of pivoting to this moment, uh, Anthony, when you think about this moment right now, it's for Anthony and Jay, I'll go Anthony and I'll say Jay, this moment right now that we're in, uh, whatever you want to call it, the Black Lives Matter moment, Black Equity moment, whatever you want to call this moment, I do think this is a unique moment in the amount of attention and time that has been put to discussing issues of Black equality, Black equity that I haven't seen in my lifetime. What do you think are the risks or the opportunities in this moment right now, given this, if any? What do you think, Anthony? Then Jay. Yeah, I really see it as it's opening up a lot of doors that typically may have been only cracked or not necessarily opened up at this point. Uh, so you see right now, as far as a lot of big companies now, they're pouring dollars and they're interested in investing in uh, black owned businesses. Uh, they're starting to help as far as create, you know, capital funding to support black owned businesses. So, you know, the, the door is probably opening up a little bit, opening up wider than what it's been in the past. Um, and it's just because, you know, it really comes back to now uh, a lot of folks who may not either known it or they weren't willing to acknowledge it, that the perceived risk as far as for black entrepreneurs and black businesses uh, really, you know, really um, is probably the same as any other business. And so that's really opening things up at this point. Yep. Jay, what are your thoughts? So I, I agree. I, I, Rob, I describe this moment almost verbatim the way you've described it, a unique opportunity that we have not seen in our lifetimes. We are probably all relatively close in age within a few years, uh, and we have not seen this in our lifetime. I think that uh, this moment does provide some unique opportunities for us to assert uh, the talent uh, that is part of the Black experience in ways that people are more receptive to. There is a there is a reckoning and an awakening of the uh, importance in understanding the black experience and, and what we've endured for more than 400 years. And, and very quickly, two examples that I have that you were describing is that in 2005, 
Uh, when I ran for mayor, I was the f- first black mayor of the city of Youngstown. But in doing that, uh, I had to uh, gauge how and when to assert and, and to react to certain things that in my own town, uh, there were segments of the town that the experts told me not to spend time because those precincts were never going to support a black candidate. I made a decision that I was going to go anyway because I wasn't going to give them an opportunity to say he didn't ask. Yeah. Yeah. And while I didn't win those white precincts, I did well enough to ultimately become uh, mayor of the city of Youngstown. But along the way, there were some people who made it very clear that I and my type and my supporters weren't welcome, whether those supporters were black or white. Yeah. yeah. Now, fast forward to, to, to where we are now uh, as the president of a of a of a large community foundation. You know, I still struggle with that because uh, I've been president here for three years. When I started, uh, I had a much different uh, style of hair, a more conservative, low cut fade. Uh, and 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 I, I was on am on some boards where people got to know me. But then over the last year and a half, I've let my hair grow out and, and, and now have a, a hair style that is certainly uh, more communicating my my ethnicity. And I had an individual who I sat on a board with look at me who hadn't seen me for about five or six months, but had known me. And he came up to me after the meeting. He said, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. He said, when I looked and saw your hair, I asked myself, is this a guy I would trust to run a, a billion dollar oh foundation? Okay. And, and I'm wow. like, wait a minute. I'm the same guy I was a year ago when you knew me. But just because my hair is different, it in his mind gave him the liberty or the comfort to to, to now question. And, and why yeah. I know the guy had... The fact that we're still facing those things, that the change in my hair in his eyes gave him liberty or freedom to question whether I was had the same level yeah. of, of capability. It gave him the exit ramp in his mind to go to his bias. Absolutely. So, so we still struggle with that. But it goes to your point, I'll end with this, is that we still have to gauge when and how to assert. But I think this moment that we're in gives us greater opportunity to really assert the talent, the skill. Uh, the fact that as black entrepreneurs, as a black culture, you know, there is a great sense of relevance and value that is prior to this, you know, been devalued, dismissed, and 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 people haven't been willing to 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 reconcile. Yeah, I I, I agree with that, Jay. Um, <clears throat> so my um, I'll, I'll give my skeptic part of the uh, of the moment. I do think this is an opportunity. I do think there is more attention to it, but I also think because of that. Corporations and others are very strategic about highlighting this because it is it is it is it's first of all it's it's it's, it's smart it's smart it's probably profitable to do at this time because their base wants it to happen the uh, the emerging particularly young people and many other people have been engaged in this so I believe that black people black entrepreneurs need to and and, and leaders in general need to take the lead in this and don't allow everybody else to determine what it means to have black equity. This is what, look, we started Disruption Now, and I'll just tell people we're, 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 we'll have our platform ready by early next year, but it will be a crowd investing entrepreneurial platform for us, built for us, engaged for us, for us, and people. And we want people to invest and make sure that we are building each other, investing in each other, and then corporations can participate. We want them to, and go beyond this, I go beyond the, the checking the box of diversity and inclusion. Like I I, I don't want to just hear diversity, inclusion, training. Like, and in fact, I don't even think it matters that much. We, we need to see how many dollars are being spent with black entrepreneurs. What does your board look like? Real measurables, not did you give, did you host a, a good event and put up a beautiful report to tell us 
nothing's changed. Like, I, I think we need to end that type of expectations and really have this moment where it can be used as possibly uh, a third reconstruction and looking at a moment that we can really advance uh, for all of America, I'll say, because when black because when black America advances, all of America does better. Uh, so what do you think in this moment? Speaking of that now, what what is the greatest risk? I've tell, I, I think I've said what I believe is the greatest risk. What is the greatest risk and opportunity in this moment right now for black entrepreneurs or just being a black entrepreneur in general? So I'll start with anybody. Well, I'll certainly say I think that there is a risk that the uh, status quo, those who have, um, you know, fought against so long this notion of, um, you know, the, 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 the value of black lives, the value of um, the black community could use this moment to further embolden and galvanize and say, you know what, this is a rising up that we are going to turn this uh, and feel more comfortable now. Um, you know, trying to undermine, uh, trying to disrupt uh, this consciousness that is awakening. I, th I think that we see actively, you know, that there are those uh, who are uh, actively sowing distrust, actively uh, being brought to the forefront to um, devalue even a simple phrase like Black Lives Matter and to turn it into yeah. something uh, of, of, a, of a threat. And I think that you know, we have to understand that when there isn't that viral moment uh, that is galvanizing us, that we can't allow this moment to pass, that we that yeah. we have to understand while there's a lot of attention, there's a risk that we uh, assume that people are always going to be as tuned into and as conscientious as they are now. And they won't be. And they won't be. So I think that is a huge risk that we become comfortable and complacent or that we still we, we rely on something to spark uh, a social and national reckoning when we have to make sure that this becomes as uh, part and parcel uh, as, as you know, apple pie, quote unquote, that, that the value of black lives, that the equity is not a momentary issue, that this is a permanent demand and requirement of this country and not something that was sparked by uh, unfortunate events such as George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or you name it. This is what we yeah. expect going forward, period, permanently. This reminds me, Anthony, I just I just got done rereading the autobiography of Malcolm X. And uh, towards the last part of the book, he goes over all the uh, and he goes over 1964 and all of the things that were going on in terms of the protest, in terms of just, you know, some violence just going on in communities and in, in, in black communities because of the injustices that were happening then. And and he made a comment and, and someone asked him about the presidential election at the time. And he said, you know, he was, he was talking about uh, Barry Goldwater, which Barry Goldwater was more effective than the current environment in terms of what the person said. But Barry Goldwater was the beginning of what a lot of a lot of what we see in the current political environment. And he asked him about Barry Goldwater and Lyndon Johnson. And his statement was something similar to what Jay said. He said, well, you know, look, I look at it as, as a difference between uh, the fox and the wolf. The wolf, I know who I'm dealing with. And when when black people tend to, uh, tend to see the wolf, they are in an environment where they know they have to be on guard, whether it's just the fox, they're more like likely to go to sleep. Like, OK, well, maybe things are better now because this one thing happened. Understanding that and this is my belief and I can say as a Democrat that at the end of the day, no matter who's in power, they are a symptom. They are not the cause. <laughs> the cause is systemic and it will take a long term effort and it will take a lot of engagement on multiple levels, both political and economic. What do you see as the risk? 
in this moment. I mean, Jay talked about his. I just kind of told you mine. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I definitely would say one risk is also, like you say, you talk about political and economic, but it's also social, you know, yeah. looking at some of the social risks that's involved. Uh, you know, it's a combination of those factors. And so that's a big area when you look at as far as some of the social risk. And uh, folks typically look at economic dollars as far as put towards, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and, and businesses, as well as the political policies behind it. but there's a lot of social challenges that we have to face. And, you know, to a certain degree, uh, we have to look at how we're bringing up that younger generation, which is going to bring, build that pipeline yeah. to be the future entrepreneurs and the future business people. And a lot of those challenges come back to some of the social, you know, challenges we face. And so, so what do you mean by social? Like dive into that a little bit more. Like when you define social, how are you defining that, Anthony? Yeah, I, I'm really looking at really uh, just as far as the philosophy towards okay. really valuing education. And, you know, we have to continue to, you know, with Black Lives Matters, then definitely is, is creating a, a, you know, definitely a, a big uh, opportunity for, you know, a lot of our businesses here. But we really have to look at how do we really educate and continue to encourage folks to really get into the pipeline that's going to build our next generation of talent. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that's where it really comes from as far as doing that. Carlin, what do you think? Well, the answers given thus far have been great. So I'll try to come at it more of a um, strictly entrepreneurial business angle. Okay. Um, one of the, um, you know, outside the context of his current environment, you know, one of the aims often for black entrepreneurs is, um, to kind of be understood and perceived as a quality entrepreneur who happens to be black, right? Um, versus you're a quote-unquote black entrepreneur. And to try to make that kind of subjective distinction between those two, to try to manage um, how others might respond. And I would think that in this in, in current environment, um, there's the risk that maybe you might just be slatted. Oh, there's that's just another black entrepreneur who's in the moment has a good idea, good opportunity, um, and to try to actively manage to say, wait, no, this is whether or not this pandemic we're going on or whether or not the context and climate is what it is, this opportunity idea stands on its own. And, you know, that's, you know, part of just within the entrepreneurial environment, finding um, good allies, um, good organizations, those with a good perspective on these things. Um, and I, I think one of the benefits and opportunities of this climate is that there has been an awakening, whether it's among venture capital groups or other facets of the industry that are saying, let's broaden our perspective on what it means to be diverse, on how we evaluate candidates from an objective standpoint, to kind of remove those notions of bias, say one even um, allow us to make that distinction that, you know, for these, let's say for this accelerator, for these 10 companies, we have our eight, but, you know, let's throw in some token minority businesses instead of fundamentally changing that pipeline in the first place so that, you know, those candidates all feel um, a more of a, a natural demographic of, you know, uh, the populace. Yeah. Um, 
And so I would say just kind of continuing to be cautious and wary of that classification of who you are as uh, from your identity standpoint. Well, I mean, I think you bring up a couple of points that I'd like to get uh, dive into a little bit more. One, changing the narrative and the expectations of of what it means to be. Well, this is kind of really what it means to be black because people and then what it means to be a black entrepreneur, because the, the, the truth is this. I mean. Black entrepreneurs and diverse entrepreneurs overall tend to be more successful. There's a reason for that because they have to overcome more and they're more innovative because they have to be, as we've talked about. So getting people to really understand that, uh, I think, is is really, really very, very important. Uh, And then uh, understanding as we tackle bias, because I think that the hard part of what you said there, Carlin, is that uh, bias from a systems point of view, we know for you to really tackle your bias. It requires you to have a check and it requires you to do it over and over and over and over and over again, because the mind will want to always go back to what it's known. And and I think we have to get in a place where we are there and saying you have to do these things if you're really trying to be if you're really trying to be inclusive. One, two, we expect you to do these things or we will actually hold you accountable, because I think if we can get collectively there, that's where we have to be, uh, because I I think. People are always going to see. I mean, people are always going to see. Unfortunately, black entrepreneur together. But what other communities have shown, Italian community, Jewish community, name the community, is that they have to work together and then get people to understand that this is we expect to be brought in for for the value that we bring in the discussion. And so I, I do think that's really important. But how do we do that? How do we how do we push organizations in the right way? How do we collectively do that? For them to go beyond the lip service, to go beyond saying we believe Black Lives Matter, to go beyond, they get funding. Oftentimes, I, I, I'm, I'm very much a wait and see. I'm just, I'm a skeptic. I'm an I'm a engineer too. I'm also an engineer, by the way. If you can't measure, you can't improve it, as you guys all know. So I want to see what your actual metrics are. How do we go about this in terms of making sure we go and push in a different way where we're just not directed to the head of diversity and inclusion and supplier diversity where their job is just to make sure that they have to work within the system. That's not true all the time. There are some that are going out there and getting it, but more often than not, it's very difficult for the diversity and inclusion head to really make a difference because they're not empowered to. I said a lot. What's the thoughts? Let let me give you one example of of what we're doing. So the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving is a large community foundation that covers 29 uh, communities in, in central Connecticut. And we are primarily known as a grant maker, and that's a big part of what we do. Uh, but we've also recognized as we've looked introspectively that how do we begin to change that narrative as a funder? And there's always this power dynamic between a funder and a grantee. And uh, you know, philanthropic organizations are by and large very well intended, but don't often or enough recognize that they sit in a position of power that grantees and those, whether they be entrepreneurs or nonprofit organizations, are going to uh, respond in a way that they think that the grantor wants them to in order to get resources. So uh, what we've attempted and what we are doing is instead of just the grant making, we understand the need to share power. Uh, And right now defining power as in the wealth that we possess. So we are, um, you know, right now looking at going beyond grant making and figure out how do we share the power that we have as a wealthy philanthropic organization to say that we can make investments in uh, black and Latinx led organizations 
who can do things to build the ecosystem in ways that we can't, even as well-intended as we are, we have committed ourselves to that. But instead of us trying to own that space, we're saying, let's take some of this power we have, and again, defining power very narrowly with, with, with financial resources, and invest in these organizations such that they now have greater agency, discretion, autonomy to make decisions to build out the ecosystems in ways that have a greater level of credibility and authenticity. So instead of just us sort of writing a check and feeling good and look how many we've grants we've given to sort of black and Latinx organizations and entrepreneurial support systems, we're saying, why don't we take a chunk of this wealth that we have, place it there and, and, and trust and know that there is a level of creativity and expertise that goes far beyond anything that we could possess uh, and, and see them more as a partner than as an agency coming to us for a grant. So that's just one example of how we're I trying think to that's think powerful. powerful. I think that's, I think that's powerful. powerful. I really do. Uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Are you saying something? Something? I just yeah, wanted yeah, to no, say no, that. I, th I think that's great because that's often been, I think, a stumbling block when it comes to nonprofit organizations or the charitable world. It's seen as a way to kind of, okay, we can give some money here and almost like a paternalistic kind of a... Absolutely. You hit the nail yeah, on the yeah. head. How do we move away from that savior paternal? We know it's best. Here's a load of money. Go and do well. And we feel good to saying, wait a minute, here's some power. You know what's best. And, and, and these communities of colors aren't looking for saviors. They're looking for opportunity and the same pathways that, that the majority communities have had for so long. Uh, you know, so that's how we're trying to even change the narrative in our space. Yep. How do we, my fellow entrepreneurs, uh, how do we change the mindset within ourselves <clears throat> and what do we need to do there? Uh, as I think about it, you know, we, you, you guys kind of hint around this. We do go through structural issues. There's no question. But then we also have to work to not internalize that too much as a barrier in our mind. How do we go about that? And then how do we go about, I think, making the rest of the, the rest of the community understand how entrepreneurship has to work? Like we're not we need to support each other. We shouldn't see as a uh, we shouldn't view other black businesses as a black business with the quote unquote label as a black business. And we have to and we're going to treat them differently, expect a discount so on, or, or expect the worst out of people simply because they are a black entrepreneur. I think I, I'll say this, this is a disruptive statement, but I still think it's true. I think we are just as guilty of adopting this mentality as we accuse others of being. Difference of opinion there. I mean, you don't have to agree with me. What's, what's your thoughts, uh, Carl and Anthony? I would say uh, just to your most immediate statement, uh, I think the fact that it could be made and argue would lend credence to the fact that there are definitely uh, a sizable portion of our community that might hold those views. You know, of course, each of us, I would presume, you know, try to fight that perspective in our own lives and how we interact uh, with um, businesses in our communities. Um, but to your point of, you know, mindset, you know, I, I think um, if I'm understanding the question correctly, one of the biggest things we can try to advocate for is a, really a stubbornness, uh, a stick to just to say that, you know, uh, and whether it's in ourselves or it's just supporting that in the entrepreneurs uh, who happen to be diverse that we know in our lives, uh, that encouragement to keep after it, recognizing that there are challenges and struggles and things like nature and saying, you know, are we fostering an environment that encourages you know, failure 
or really, as we say, learning opportunities to say yeah. that it's okay to pursue this path and whether or not you hit a stumbling block, keep on going because of how important it is that mission to create. Carlin, um, can you think of an example of a, of a stumbling block you had that now served as like a greater opportunity for you? Uh, sure. I, I'll kind of speak a little bit more generally, but it was uh, kind of early in my professional uh, experience and, you know, before really striking out as an entrepreneur, um, encountering, um, learning how I wanted to navigate uh, the relationships between me and my, whether it's direct reports or me and uh, those above me um, and understanding, you know, i blessed to come from a great, uh, diverse, a multiculturally diverse um, city, Cleveland Heights. Um, And then I spent, of course, my educational time at um, Case Western Reserve University. And so through those um, kind of environments, you build up a certain perspective of how you're accepted and understood, right? But then when you hit the workforce, you know, the predominating uh, views and perspectives and maybe even biases people had were up to that point a little bit new to me. And I'd say that shock of saying, wow, I don't have the benefit of doubt in this situation or the trust, implicit trust um, and learning how to deal and navigate with that, um, I think has, uh, you know, helped me out now later down the road when it comes to saying, okay, here's how I approach these types of situations uh, moving forward. Yep. No, that's great. Anthony, I mean, thinking about where we are here and what would you say is the, is your greatest learning lesson from being a black entrepreneur and how would you advise others in this moment to move based upon other things you've heard? I mean, what's your thoughts? Yeah. Um, my, my greatest learning lesson as an entrepreneur is, uh, uh, opportunities come oftentimes from unknown sources. Mm. Uh, we talked about as far as sticking to it and being persistent, uh, but th- that leads to opportunities. Uh, for me, as an entrepreneur, my opportunities have come from just sticking to it and then from some unknown sources. Uh, yeah. Folks that I, you know, networked with, you know, probably 10 years ago with a former employer actually turned into being uh, current clients. And actually, yeah. as I mentioned, you know, besides wearing an entrepreneurial hat, I work for nonprofit organization. And uh, uh, that was through a connection that I made, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, So I would say as an entrepreneur, you know, a lot of times we uh, look at, look for known sources and probably some of your biggest opportunities are going to come from uh, the unknown just by being persistent and networking and uh, really talking about what you do to make those connections. And so that's what I found out. That's been the biggest lesson for me is uh, really sticking to it and, you know, really networking and, and, and looking for opportunities well, and making opportunities off of your connections and your network. Yeah. I mean, Jay and I can both relate. We've both been a, I'm, I'm a recovering politician, I guess, or public servant. And so is he. Uh, so we've both been in this world and he'll, he'll relate to this story that I'm going to tell him and, it, and it's informed my entrepreneurial journey. So, when I ran for treasurer of the state of Ohio, I had to figure out how to raise millions and I didn't know how I was going to do that. Like I could put on my paper that I, uh, how much I can raise. I think it was a couple hundred thousand, right? I did raise two and a half million. And, he, and here's how it happened. I mean, it's, it's, 
It happened through the same way you guys talked about it. Like literally I would get on the phone for four or five hours and essentially 90% no one would answer the phone and 90% no. And there was one time where like I, I called this person, I call people 50 times. Like I was very persistent. One person ended up just giving me $12,000. I was like, okay, yeah, like this, this guy's work hard enough. Like, like maybe I'm just going to go ahead and give him some money. Uh, that came, I mean, that happened. And it is true. You have to be persistent. And there are times like it, it, it's, a, it's a journey between being persistent and patient. So you have to be, and because you have to realize that just because things aren't happening right now, they're not going to happen. This is what I'm going to guarantee you. They're not going to happen according to the way you think. And it won't happen on the timeline that you think. I mean, some people, it happens for them immediately and something, you know, boom. But that's like trying to win the lottery if you're hoping things are going to go like that. Most likely, it will be, as you said, Anthony, will be just from persistence. And the people that you that you expect to help you probably won't. <laughs> and the people that you don't expect to help you or people that won't will, I, will give you opportunities. And it's why you have to just stay persistent. But first, you have to know your product know, or know what you're doing and have passion for it because it's it is going to wear you out. Like it is a hard, long road. It's rewarding, but there are periods that, you know, you, you spend most of your time in the process and very little in the proceeds and people get a little discouraged in that. And so like having that long view and having enough runway for that long view, because that's the issue, right? I mean, the issue we have, uh, there are no shortage of great ideas within the black community. There are none. There are tons of great ideas. There are tons of great entrepreneurs that don't get the runway because they don't have the capital connections or the resources. What would you, now that you guys know what you know now, and you've come to a point, you've been in entrepreneurship for enough years, what resources would you point people to, to say, okay, this is something that if I had to start over again, I would look up this. That's my first question. I got one more as we conclude. Uh, and I'll start with you, Carla, because you guys are the entrepreneurs. Yeah. I, I tell um, the power of asking for help. Uh, both um, explicitly to um, mentors or um, just folks, but also of your region and your environment. Um, you know, I'm sure, Jay, you're aware of the wealth uh, ecosystem of support organizations that encourage entrepreneurship um, here in Cleveland, Ohio, whether it's the uh, Ville Institute for Entrepreneurship at Case Western Reserve University, organizations like Jumpstart, um, or even just... Um, other key individuals that you know are connected, make sure they know who you are. Uh, make sure they understand you, what you're working on and they are aware of what your needs are. Um, because more than often, these are folks and organizations who want to be able to help to uh, demonstrate their worth and their value. And you never know how far uh, they could accelerate your journey and path just by letting them be, no, this is who I am and this is what I'm working on. Yep. Anthony. Yeah, I, I would agree with what Carlin said. Definitely, there's a vast ecosystem uh, throughout the state and throughout the nation to support entrepreneurs. Uh, and I, you know, one of Hats Eyewear is actually uh, providing support and, and counseling to uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses. So I have had an opportunity to witness it firsthand on how valuable there's a lot of resources out there. And I, I would say that, you know, starting off, First of all, you don't always necessarily have to pay a fee for service or a fee to take advantage of the resources that are available. And so it comes down to really, as, as Carlin mentioned, you know, starting off and looking within your local ecosystem uh, for those business assistance resources. 
And then there are others that you can go ahead to help expand your horizon and meet the needs and fill the gaps to help you grow as a business. And so I've seen it as far as myself personally, uh, having worked with organizations here uh, collaboratively, uh, such as Jumpstart, Magnet, uh, other organizations more in the tech innovation side of things. But there are also uh, other organizations here that have uh, business development centers supported by the federal government. Uh, small business development centers, minority business development centers, and they offer services to entrepreneurs and small businesses to help them thrive and grow. And you don't have to pay for that uh, for that service and that support. And so I definitely encourage you know any uh, black entrepreneur or business to really investigate uh, those opportunities because um, a lot of times you don't necessarily know, and, and the information is highly fragmented out there. So. Yeah, talking is. to folks and networking, that's how you learn how to uh, really take advantage of those resources. Hey, Rob, if I can add two quick things, please, e- please. even as, as not a, currently an entrepreneur, but, um, you know, mentors are excellent. Allies are excellent. But what I've heard uh, other, uh, other successful entrepreneurs say is beyond mentors and allies, find an accomplice. You know, we, we think of an accomplice in the criminal sense. You know, an accomplice is somebody who goes down with you. It's like we're in this together uh, and find a sponsor. A sponsor is someone who is willing to put some of their credibility on the line. A mentor is great and says, hey, let me let me you can shadow me. Let me show you what I do. But a a sponsor says, listen, you know, I need you to to, to sit down and and, and talk to Anthony or Carlin or or somebody in a way that they're putting a little bit of their capital or credibility on the line uh, beyond just mentorship. So, you know, uh, you know, mentors and, 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 and allies, I never discount, but accomplices and sponsors, you know, look for those too. Oh, that's, that's such a great point. And, and knowing how to, uh, there's a process to getting those too. It takes, you gotta, you have to be intentional about building relationships and it takes some time. I mean, it, there is an art to intentional networking that uh, I believe is lost because people have the false belief that, Oh, because someone's on LinkedIn or that can just go out and I'll just say, can you be my mentor? That's not how you do this. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, there is a process to this uh, and you get to know, you figure out, you know, can you reach out to people? Can you understand something that they have and can you add value to their life in some way? And can you, or, or can you make them understand that you understand them and their story and that you somehow connect with them? You, you don't, just go out and I mean, you can do that, but you're probably not going to be successful, right? I mean, you go, you, you, you got to have a process. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the goal of mine. They, they say, man, that was me 20 years ago. That was me. So let me now invest in this, in this person and help them navigate the pitfalls that I experienced. So, I mean, if you can connect on that level, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that's it. Cause I think, like I said, there's, there's more access to people than there ever was, but I, I, I believe there's a lost art in how you go about networking because it's so accessible, people think that you can do Technology it. Technology can reach make it out. too easy. Yeah. Right, right, right. You go out and just oh, reach out. I've had a lot of success uh, going out and reaching out to people on Instagram, and I believe it's a, there's a few reasons for both on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I believe there's a few reasons. One, I try to understand and research who I am, who I mean, who they are, and then make my ask specific to something that they do. So I'm either adding value to them. Or they could say, oh, I, he really understands and, you know, did his research, so on and so forth. Or because of my track record, you know, you can look, I, I've built up, I've built up uh, credibility. So you can, you can, you can look me up. So I, I tell entrepreneurs, 
and black entrepreneurs in particular, that you have to understand that you are, I say this all the time, you are two things no matter what your company is. You are a tech company. I don't care what you do. You are a tech company. You need to figure out how you use technology to scale, to automate, whatever. You are a tech company. And if you're not a tech company, then you're not going to be a company. Second, you are a media company. You have to figure out how to get your brand out and market, even if you don't have a marketing department, then you need to know how to use social media, how to engage your core base and to keep them, keep in touch with them before you ask them for money or time or whatever. You are already putting your vision, your statement of who you are. So this leads to my final question. And, and Carlin, I'm, I'm going to start with you. I already know your answer because you kind of said it earlier, but I want you to dive into it. Uh, what is the most important characteristic for and for Jay, for you, it's going to be a leader. But for Carlin, for an entrepreneur as a leader, what is the most important characteristic? Is it clarity of vision, which you already said it's going to be? Is it the ability to raise money? Is it knowing how to build a team? Like what is the most if you have, I want you to choose one. What is the most essential quality for a founder? What do you think, Carlin? Uh, so actually, it was one of the, the last uh, answers I gave was that uh, um, stubborn confidence, okay. uh, a, a shakable faith in. I thought you were going to say clarity of vision. Okay, but go ahead. <laughs> well, it, it kind of leads to that a little bit, but it's more or less that you know you have to be totally bought in and passionate about what you're pursuing. I mean, you can't have a reckless blindness about it, you know. But at the same time, uh, to not be so easily shaken by the um, structural uh, issues you might overcome, whether it is of a race base or societal base, could just be fundamental business problems that every entrepreneur, no matter who you are, faces. Um, to understand that the journey won't necessarily be easy, that's going to come with its challenges, uh, and then have that mindset that if you uh, uh, um, persist through it, if you um, um, continue on that path and that journey and reach the end, whether it's a traditional clinical success or a failure, aka learning opportunity, that you know you can't really see that to to that end unless you stick with it. Uh, and I'd say going in with that mindset, ready for battle, if you will, is probably one of the uh, the most important um, qualities that an entrepreneur can have. I like that, Anthony. What's what's the most important quality? I would come back, and I, I would say flexibility really comes down to being flexible. Uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, you're going to reach to times where maybe cash will be a challenge. Uh, you may not necessarily have the, have the network to go to friends and family as far as to help support your company. So what are you, where are you going to go to find you know, opportunities to keep your business going? Uh, it could be other uh, aspects of you know, running your company. We mentioned as far as the expansive ecosystem here to support, you know, your company, uh, you have to be flexible enough to take coaching and work with those and collaborate with those resources to help you grow. Um, I've realized over a period of time as, as a business, you know, personally for me, uh, opportunities have come from uh, keeping an open mind and being flexible. I got a project up in the northeast part of the U.S., and it was an area where uh, I knew there wasn't a very diverse population, but it was a good fit for my my expertise, my background. Right. And bid on that project and actually won. And so and that's turned into a repeat client that kept, you know, kept me going and kept the business going. 
So just having that viewpoint, I think sometimes we as black entrepreneurs will uh, really uh, sometimes feel as if uh, there's not a lot of opportunities there, but it comes from also uh, being open to looking at, hey, we have a chance to go ahead and make these opportunities. And so being flexible really, you know, enables you to take that viewpoint and, and really help keep your business going. Jay, what do you think is the most important characteristic for a leader overall to lead? Important, if, if not characteristic, I think that there are several important characteristics, but one of the most important decisions you can make as a leader or an entrepreneur is who you surround yourself with. It will make or break your company, your administration. Uh, and I say that because uh, I have always sought as a leader to surround myself with people who are smarter, brighter, more talented in their respective area. And, and as a leader, then to empower them to bring the best that they have to the table, to the problem, to the issue, to the organization, and then being confident enough in myself that ultimately I have to make the decision. But who you surround yourself with uh, will absolutely uh, make or break their trajectory. And, and being confident enough that you're the entrepreneur or you're the leader, but you can't be the best in everything. So get the best financial person, get the best marketing person, get the best whatever it is, the logistical person, get them around, give them every power that they need, ultimately knowing that when you make that decision as the leader, the founder, the entrepreneur, you're making it based on an informed group of talented people who are better in their individual fields that are ultimately giving you uh, the direction that you ultimately choose. So that's what I would say is, is, is probably the most important decision you can make. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I would say that <clears throat> similar to that, I would say it's self-awareness, understanding who you are truthfully, like not who you want to be, not who you aspire to be, but who you actually are. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, one of my favorite authors I had, a, had an episode on this with uh, with uh, Robert Greene. He, he views uh, when you talk about self-awareness, not how you think of yourself, but how others see you. And you can and you can really learn from experience. Some of you, some of your most difficult experiences can be not not. OK, what did that person do to wrong me? What can I learn from that situation to figure out how I'm how I'm actually viewed? And how can I use that to be a more effective leader? And it goes to your points, Jay, because you can really you, you, you're honest about your shortcomings. You're honest about your triggers. And then you can look and then you also know what you stand for and who you are. So that goes to your vision. If you have self-awareness, those things come about and it makes things more clear and it allows you to be able to uh, be the leader, to set the vision, but then also set an ecosystem or set an infrastructure that allows innovation to occur. Because innovation can't occur if everybody agrees with you. That's going to that's going to lead to an organization that's going to die. So it's you got to have an organization that has a constructive rivalry where people can come back, push back, give good ideas, and not and, and not feel like their ideas are just going to be you know drowned out or poo pooed uh, simply because the leader doesn't agree with them. So I, I believe that's what it takes. And I want to say I'm proud of all of you. Thank you for all that you've done for entrepreneurship. Thank you for uh, all that you're going to do, and much future success to you. Uh, but until next time, we'll see you at the next episode. Appreciate everybody coming on. Brothers, great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you.